Welcome to the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast brought to you by Break of Day Capital. The show focuses on educating syndicators and apartment owners on how to build systems and manage their properties more efficiently to become a best-in-class operator. 100% straight talk. Let's jump in. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. I'm your host, Gary Lipsky. Be sure to join our Facebook group, Asset Management Mastery, where we have a great community of thousands of like-minded individuals sharing resources and best practices. Choosing the right insurance coverage for multifamily properties isn't that complicated, if you know who to talk to. At the Garzella Group, we're uniquely qualified to help you navigate the range of policy choices you have, and we're committed to saving you 30% in the process. We do intensive market research and have nationwide relationships so we can find coverage other insurance brokers simply can't. We should talk. Go to quotenow.biz and we'll start the conversation. Today on the podcast, we have Ben Lapidus. Ben is a CFO for Sparn Investment Group, where he has applied his finance and business development skills to construct from scratch a portfolio of over $500 million assets under management, build the corporate finance backbone for the organization, and organize over $200 million of debt capital for the firm, in addition to completing over 50 real estate transactions at and prior to Sparin. Ben is also the founder and host of the National Best Ever Real Estate uh, Investing Conference. And if you haven't gone, definitely check it out. It's a great conference. And is also the managing partner of Indigo Ownerships LLC. Welcome, Ben. Can I always ask my list? I always ask my guests to tell a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Yeah, uh, I am one of those people that likes to be really into the numbers, but also likes to engage with other folks. So I uh, I'm in Denver. Got three kids, all under the age of four. Uh, two partners with Spartan, and just having a blast growing that thing. We're headed towards a billion assets under management. That's awesome. That's all. That is awesome. And you're, you are in the thick of it with those young kids. Luckily I've got a, a 16 and 20 year old and it's, it's, <laughs> it's like I'm uh, an, an empty nester at this point. So right, right, yeah, um, on, the, on the way out, I'm phasing yeah. in. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I know you, you've, you've had this kind of entrepreneurial journey and I want to dive a little bit into that because uh, I know you, you sold a business and, and how did you get into get into real estate, you know, eventually. Yeah. So uh, Eric Reese uh, wrote this book called The Lean Startup Machine. When I was in school, 2009 happened and um, uh, being coming an entrepreneur was very much in vogue. So learning entrepreneurship in the New York City metro was the thing to do. Uh, and, and one of the principles he had there, which Jim Collins calls the hedgehog principle, is find something that overlaps uh, with three components of your life. Something that you're the best at, something that you could be a category of one at, something that you really enjoy doing that you're passionate about, which isn't always the same as being the best at. And three, something that's economically viable, something that you can make money with. And so my childhood, I was raised to focus on economic viability and really nothing else matters other than the survival and thriving of financial freedom. Uh, and in building a study abroad company in college and, and getting that to $2 million uh, in revenue and, and, and jumping off waterfalls and zip lining in Costa Rica, I did learn to chase fun. I learned to find uh, business models that I enjoyed, that I was passionate about, but I wasn't the best at it. Wasn't, didn't, didn't know much about travel, uh, wasn't super passionate about renewable energy, even though it's something that I, 
I buy into uh, as a betterment for the world. So when I found real estate, real estate investing, it used my quantitative skill sets and my relationships for negotiation abilities. It was something that I enjoyed immensely because it was physical assets that I could learn something about and get my hands dirty with. And it was something that was very economically viable. 90% of all millionaires have real estate in their portfolio, right? So uh, it, was, it was this beautiful intersection of all three. It was my fifth entrepreneurial journey getting started. And it was the one that finally landed. Yeah, I think that passion piece is so important. I, I remember vividly in college, I had an entrepreneurial teacher and she talked about that. And, you know, as a you know, young kid, I'm like, I'm just chasing money. And so we, we started a, a restaurant delivery service while we were in college, you know, kind of like a DoorDash and, mm-hmm. um, you know, the other, other uh, food delivery. But I, I love food, but I just wasn't passionate about like just basically delivering widgets, you know. And so um, we did well, but it, I mean, we just didn't, you know, didn't have the, the, the mental strength to do it for years after years after years so we just did a very long a short period and sold it and it was like you know how to how to do something else that that we were passionate about so that that is so important yeah which is why we sold a, a study abroad company just wasn't passionate about it long term yep so um in your bio you talked about the role of a, a cfo and how it's you know the really the backbone of that comp of, of your company and, and try you know talk about that talk about how you interface with the different roles and 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 your responsibilities yeah uh, I, I, the old adage of every business needs a uh, a visionary a bean counter and an sob right I, i'm the bean counter of the trio over at spartan um, uh, I think what's, what's unique about my role and my, my placement, specifically me in that role, is that I really have no business calling myself a CFO from, from kind of accounting, uh, growing up standards. Uh, never spent time as an accountant. I've done bookkeeping. I've done controls. I've done receivables and payables. But I've never really done that as a career. I've just done that for myself in entrepreneurial uh, endeavors. Um, but what's unique about what I think I bring to the table is the investment finance background, having spent some time on Wall Street, very little time on Wall Street, very little time in the venture capital space, but applying that um, investment finance lens and education to everything that I've always done, uh, evaluating the world, um, uh, recognizing patterns, and using that pattern recognition to, to uh, come up with and deploy an investment thesis inside of Spartan and to continually optimize that. So not only am I responsible for the corporate finance, which is the backbone, the accounting, the financial planning and analysis, controls, receivables, payables, payroll, bookkeeping, month-end reconciliation, but I'm also responsible for identifying our investments and making sure that the performance of those investments uh, reaches or exceeds our targeted returns. Um, and, and that's the part that I really enjoy. I just get the bonus uh, of accounting and, and, and kind of backbone finance uh, and, and uh, get to learn a lot from the people that, that I've hired and, and get to work with. I think a lot of um, syndication companies out there do not have that financial backbone that, that you talk about. And um, I'm curious what kind of like software and tools that you use to help you yeah. So um, what's really interesting is that the, the real estate industry specifically uses one of three um, companies. They use Yardi or they use uh, RealPage or they use uh, MRI, I believe are the three. Like Those are like real estate accounting softwares. And when we decided to kind of grow up from our startup QuickBooks online usage to something that had multi-entity reporting for syndications, for portfolio wraps, roll-ups rather, um, we looked at those three. Uh, storage isn't as cost effective to use by unit kind of pricing. So 
one or two of those were not economically viable, but we could have made one, one of them work that had real estate accounting specific software, but they just didn't integrate with the things that we needed them to integrate with. So we actually built for the future and we've used NetSuite, which is the most popular uh, accounting software globally. It's owned by Oracle. Uh, even though it's not built specifically for real estate accounting, we've built it for ourselves to use that. And we're in the process of integrating it with Salesforce, integrating it with our uh, property management software, integrating it with a custom build investor management system, integrating it with JP Morgan Access, which is the next level chase.com. So we have real-time banking data ported in. So uh, by, by using a best-in-class accounting software for the world, as opposed to just real estate accounting, we're able to tack on new technology outside of real estate that we can apply uh, for efficiencies and data integrity that allows us to go faster and be more transparent with our investors and our stakeholders. Well, that, that's huge. That's a, that's a huge uh, difference maker compared to other, other companies out there. So do you have um, a full-time tech person in-house or you have a consultant that's kind of working with you to kind of make it all work to get nice? Yeah. I spent five years in advertising technology in New York, specifically kind of bridging between sales and, and the machine learning team. Uh, so I, I was a data guy, basically. So I, I have a data background. I would not consider myself anywhere near a CTO, anywhere near a CIO, chief information officer, but I understand data architecture. I understand data pipeline. So I can scope vendors pretty well without having anybody else on the team. I do have one person on our team who uh, does mostly business intelligence work for our acquisitions team, but he also assists in getting some of those data pipelines working, um, but he doesn't understand the context of some of our systems. So we do use outside consultants uh, to help bridge the gaps that we have inside. Nice, nice. And how does your role um, affect your, your asset management through you know, all of your different assets that you own? Because obviously I'm sure it plays a huge role yeah, I, I think having um, as much depth in the financial statements and as much depth in the acquisitions process uh, lets me see both the beginning stages and the results stages of uh, every particular deal. Uh, and so once again, asset management is not something I've spent a decade doing prior to building Spartan. So I'm lucky to have hired people who have that experience uh, and can dive into it. But um, sometimes those folks are kind of just focus strictly on asset management in the minutia of what they know. Uh, and so having acquisitions and capital markets and accounting and finance experience allows me to kind of uh, elevate the thinking of the team so that we can be more comprehensive and, and, and be more creative in our execution uh, and respond to the external environment so that we get the best outcome as things change. That's awesome. That's awesome. Very, very impressive how you guys have built this, this organization. And uh, yeah, I've met Ryan, I've met your, I'm drawing like your other, uh, the other yeah, partner yeah. and, and uh, just the, the, the energy that you guys have and your philosophies is, is just, um, is, is, is very impressive. So uh, kudos to you guys. And, and so you mentioned going towards a billion dollars when, you know, what is the future hold for Spartan and when, when, when are you looking to hit that mark? Uh, originally, we were looking to hit that um, by summer of 23. That was set about a year ago. Um, but with the environment where it is, we're going to see how much you know, cap rates adjust in response to interest rates. Um, if they don't adjust, then we're going to be on hold with, with acquisitions. Even though we're in the process of raising a $150 million fund, those monies will either be returned or we'll sit there, um, or we'll just be recapitalizing some of our other assets with it um, that still have juice uh, in them that we can uh, kind of keep keep the IRR up. Um, but 
we have the deal flow. It's just a matter of whether or not we want to purchase it. Um, we, we've got really, really great relationships at this point being five years in. We're probably a top 10 buyer for two or three of the major brokerages out there. And storage is a very incestuous small industry. Uh, there's only 20 brokers or so that are out there, um, you know, meaningful brokers, brokerage groups that are out there. So um, the timing, I couldn't tell you. We don't like to commit ourselves to anything. We've actually built our organization to be financially stable without having to buy. Um, not quite uh, able to pay for all of our overhead with our monthly recurring revenue, but close enough that we could survive for high months, low years to come without any acquisitions. Yeah, I feel that that's so important. Um, you know, people talk to, you know, ask me about, you know, running my own property management company and this and that. And I, I'd much rather be agile and smaller where if, if we don't do a deal for a while, like for, during COVID, we didn't do a deal for like 15, 16 months, we were still chasing deals, uh, but it just didn't work out. And there was no gun to my head to do a deal just to do a deal to pay my bills, uh, which, which is so important for investors out there to, to, to invest with, with operators that aren't doing a deal just to do a deal. Yeah, yeah, that, I, I completely agree. That being said, I, I still think there is opportunity out there, specifically in the storage space, despite where interest rates are going. Um, but uh, you, you really have to have deep experience, I think, to be successful in, in this particular moment. Yeah, I think this is, this is where asset management is so key during these times where so many operators out there were able to kind of just ride the wave and, mm -hmm. and do really well and look really smart. But now when you're going to may have to take a punch, you may have some, um, you know, debt coverage, you know, ratio issues, um, loans that are due. This is, this is where you're going to see some, some really good opportunity potentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Well, um, I appreciate you coming on the show and, and, and sharing a little bit about your journey and, and about Spartan and your role as a CFO, which is really critical to building a, a very strong you know, backbone, as you said, infrastructure for, for growth and, and getting to over $1 billion. And heck, I'll, I, I imagine you guys will be over $2 billion in, uh, in, in 10 years. Um, so like I said, very impressed with what you guys are doing. And um, where can listeners find out more about what, um, you know, about Spartan? Yeah, you can check out uh, Spartan at Spartan-Investors.com and you can interact with other like-minded, entrepreneurial, highly successful commercial real estate investors at the Best Ever Conference, besteverconference.com. All right, excellent. Well, I, I will be there this year and looking forward to it. Um, awesome. This is Gary Lipsky signing off. I'll be back next week with another informative episode on the Real Estate Asset Management Podcast. To all of our listeners, thanks for joining us. And if you like this episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher and like, subscribe, and review this podcast as it will help us grow our audience and reach more people. And if you'd like to learn more about what we do at Break of Day Capital, head over to our website, breakofdaycapital.com, and sign up for our newsletter and or fill out our investor application. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.